All right, let's do it. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 260. Guys, I'm so glad to be here today. Uh, I love my job. I just love doing what I do. Now, we have a great show today. We, it's me talking to you guys. Um, this episode has a very specific and intentional structure where there are going to be four phases of today's episode. We'll start with two more current and newsy topics to start the show. That's phase one, the first two stories. Then we'll go into Ask Zach, where phase two will be more general sports questions. Phase three is going to be some fun, silly Ask Zach questions, not really sports. We'll talk about space. Uh, we will have a actually quite thoughtful question about my favorite musician. I can't wait to talk about that. And then phase four at the end of the show, I put it at the end so if people don't want it, they don't have to listen to it, will be a Formula One story. Um, if you're here for sports, the first half of the show, you're going to love it. It's great. And then you can turn the show off and leave. Totally fine with me. I've got no problem with people doing that. Really do whatever you want. If you don't want to listen to the show at all, be my guest. I'm happy to... You, I, I make content, and if people like it, they like it. Now then later... We'll have some fun Ask Zach questions about the you know, three-fourth mark of the show. If you want that, we'll talk about space. It'll be fun and quite interesting. It's a good question from, uh, you know, with your eyeballs. He always has really clever, fun questions. And then at the very end of the show, buried at the end, so that if you don't want it, you can opt out. We have a topic about Formula One and the race that's happening tomorrow, really in a couple hours. I want to start today's episode with a question from the audience. Remember, if you want to submit a question, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. And uh, Thomas writes in, he says, how do you feel about some college conferences canceling interconference games, especially the interstate rivalries that happen to be in different conferences like Clemson and South Carolina? Uh, it's very, very sad. You know, it's possible we will not have the Clemson-South Carolina game. I mean, I hope they find a way to make it happen and it can be really cool. Uh, but the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have confirmed that they are only playing conference games. The ACC is considering it. There's no word. There's no really info on the Big 12 or the SEC. I'd be surprised if the SEC canceled their small games against Liberty and, you know, whatever, you know, Northwest New Mexico State University of Middle Idaho. Like, <laughs> that's a horrible, that's a clearly made up name, but something like that. Where I don't think, I think Alabama's going to play their cupcake games because people like it. It's good revenue and it's a good preseason for Alabama and SEC teams. Um, there's a lot to unpack with this story of, you know, certain conferences saying we're only playing conference games and the cascading effect of whether or not other conferences are going to do it as well. The number one thing I have to say is just a lot of sadness. I'm, I'm very disappointed. I was very much looking forward to Ohio State and Oregon. You know, I thought Oregon could lose to both North Dakota State and then get crushed by Ohio State. And I'll be honest, I'm not going to lie. It would have been kind of fun to watch Oregon fans get humbled a little bit as they got blown out by Ohio State. Uh, there's going to be no USC-Alabama game, no Michigan versus University of Washington. A lot of good games have been canceled. Not really. Some good games have been canceled. Mostly the games that have been canceled have been kind of filler content or fluff. And I'll be honest, if this fall happens, if a season happens this fall, it could be the most fun fall in a really, really long time. Because, you know, I I've said for a long time, for like, as long as I can remember on the podcast, I have said that if the back 12 played in a vacuum and they only played each other, it would be amazing. It would be so good. And we're going to get that this year. 
We're going to get that thing I've talked about as a hypothetical saying, maybe someday we'll get this. It's actually going to happen this year. In my opinion, my opinion, my strong opinion, whatever you want to call it, someone will get mad at me. I don't really care. In my opinion, the Pac-12 is the fourth or fifth best conference in the Power Five. You know, the best Pac-12 school doesn't compete with the best schools in other conferences. You know, they have to offer. Well, think about, like, I live in the Pac-12 country. I watch a lot of Pac-12 games. And you can't compare the best of the Pac-12 to Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson, and they barely compare to teams like Michigan or LSU or Auburn, Georgia, other schools like that. Maybe Florida's in there. There's a lot more talent in other conferences around the country. But the Pac-12 is incredibly fun to watch and really even with itself. When Pac-12 games are on, Pac-12 on Pac-12, oh my gosh, it's such good football. It's entertaining. It's fun. And if you remove the comparison of the Pac-12 to other conferences and you just watch Pac-12 conference games, it's very entertaining, very dramatic football. The Big Ten in a vacuum is going to be interesting and fun and amazing. Here's what we lost for the most part. Oregon's not going to play Hawaii. Ohio State's not going to play Buffalo. Penn State's not going to play San Jose State. We're not losing a lot. We're losing some games, but we're not losing the majority of great football games because of this announcement. What we lost is a lot of filler content. I hate filler content. You know when a movie that should be 90 minutes goes on for 110 minutes? When a movie has 20 minutes of length too long, I get frustrated. I'm like, please, can we wrap it up? We didn't need every single bow tie. I was here for the fun story. I don't need to know about this side character, side character's best friend. I don't care about them having a happy ending. So I don't know. I think having less filler content's good. And this college football season is likely going to be jam-packed with great content, great matchups, meaningful games, dramatic games, really good finishes. And other than a few big games, we're mostly losing fluff, filler content, bad, not very good games. Now, another quiet benefit of conferences only playing games against other teams in their conferences. You know, conference-only games pushes the season and the opening week back for a lot of college football programs. And it buys colleges more time. They're hoping and praying that COVID-19, that coronavirus, calms down a little bit by the end of September, early October. Now, I do believe that, and, and I hope that an exception can be made for games like, you know, big rivalry interstate games. Why can't Clemson play against South Carolina? I hope that can happen. It'd be really cool if it does. And someone is certainly... People in South Carolina are certainly going to try very hard to make that happen. But the reason why conferences are trying to play only conference games is because having fewer games and only playing meaningful games, at least from a PR perspective, reduces the risk of spreading coronavirus, COVID-19. And honestly, I, I think co college football this year might be doomed. I don't know if we're going to get a season this fall. I think no matter what, SEC is probably going to have a season regardless because they they're a different breed over there. They care a lot more. My dad and I were talking about it a lot. I've said that for weeks on the show. But here's one thing that's really an angle that's interesting to me. The NFL has a lot easier time containing their players in a quarantine. Number one, they're paying them. The NFL's paying their players. If a college kid wants to hang out with their friends and break quarantine, it's going to be really hard to stop them. What does college have over their players? 
They're not paying them. The NFL can say, you know what, we're going to break your contract. We're going to if you go out and hang out with your friends, the NFL can say, we're not going to pay you. Your contract's over. We can't risk having people infected. It's harder to control college kids. Not to mention, think about this. Some people are going to be going to go to classes. Some people are going to be going to college classes this fall. You're telling me it's not going to get spread somehow? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But I know that college football is going to have a lot harder time containing COVID-19 than the NFL. Now, I have one final thought. If teams are playing conference-only games, if, especially if other conferences announce this, what is going to happen to BYU or Notre Dame? Both BYU and Notre Dame are not in a conference. And if every conference closes their door, then who are they going to play against? If it wasn't obvious before, it's very clear to me now, Notre Dame especially needs to join a conference. They're not bigger and better than everybody else. They think they are. They're not. I know people who've played there. There's this prestige. They always talk about themselves like they're this big Alabama-level football program. They're not. If Alabama has dominated college football for years and they're in a conference, Notre Dame better ante up and get in a, a program, get in a conference. And think about this. The Notre Dame football schedule has six ACC football teams on it. At one point, they play five ACC football programs in a row. They have an SEC program, Arkansas. They have two Pac-12 schools, USC and Stanford, and a Big Ten school, Wisconsin. So three of the Notre Dame games are already wiped away. And if something happens with the ACC and they decide to only play conference games, then Notre Dame is screwed. They're, they're really in trouble. So I think Notre Dame's going to have to find something to do and make it happen and make things work this year. It's possible that the ACC honors the Notre Dame games and says we're going to play them anyway. you got to remember that Notre Dame is a member of the ACC in every sport except for football because football's weird and Notre Dame football thinks they're bigger than they are. But I think they really should just fully join the ACC. It's, it's meaningless and nonsensical for Notre Dame to not have a football conference. And it was never more clear than the other day when the Big, 12, or the Big 10 and the Pac-12 announced that they're only going to play conference games. Notre Dame should join a conference. Okay, um, the second topic of the day. Oh, man, this is fun and interesting. I saw a story that I really liked. I made a video about why I liked the idea of the Washington Red Tails name the other day. Of The idea of the Washington football team changing their name to the Red Tails. And I like it because the Tuskegee Airmen have a really cool story. I think honoring them is a nice idea. Red Tails is cool to me. Now, the newest team name that is gaining some steam kind of all over the internet. People are supporting it. Football players that play for the team in Washington. Dwayne Haskins is excited about the name. The newest name that's gaining steam is the Red Wolves. And I like it. I really like the name. I think it solves the problem pretty well. Uh, it's a very simple, small change that goes a long way, in my opinion. Um, you know, I like it. I saw a cool uniform concept on Instagram. And I really like that you can keep the old color scheme because I like the red. Is it like burgundy and gold, I think is what they call it. To me, it's red and yellow, but there's some technicality that people deeply care about that I don't care about as much. I like the color scheme of the team in Washington. And here's what sold me on the name of the Red Wolves that I really, really like. Imagine the idea of having 82,000 people in the stands of a stadium, and they're all howling. That seems cool to me, the idea of just people doing that for a big play. That really, really excites me. 
And, uh, you know, red wolves are a cool animal. They're an endangered species. You can keep the thing. They do HTTR hitter. Uh, it's hail to the Redskins. It's a big thing they do over in D.C. I like the Washington Red Wolves name. And again, the thing that sold me on this name that made me really excited was not only the uniforms and the player support and the fact that it's really only changing a part at the end of the name. Red Wolves is pretty close to the old name. I just imagine a gigantic stadium full of people howling after a big play. It just sounds like such a cool idea. I'd be all in. I'd want to go to a game and participate. It'd be really, really fun. And so the idea of the Washington Red Wolves, I like the name. I think it's really, really cool. I support it, and I think that'd be really, really fun. Okay, guys, it's time for Ask Zach. It's my favorite part of the show where I read questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my bills, uh, my rent. It's a, it makes a huge impact on my rent. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at each question with my eyeballs, and I pick the very best and the ones I like the most that fit the best to read on the podcast. The first question of the day is from Justin. Justin writes in, he says, Hi, Zach. Who is your favorite player in the NFL or a player you are rooting for and hope they take a step up in the coming season? So, look, I don't have a favorite team. I don't have a favorite player. And really, there are so many players I like. I mean, when I think of who am I rooting for this year, I could list literally almost every quarterback in the NFL. I, I really, so many storylines and so many people fire me up. And I love rooting for good people. Um, I love seeing the quarterback position played at a high level. It really, really excites me. Uh, some names that came to my mind, guys I'm rooting for as of July 11th, 2020. Um, Tyler Murray would be really cool to see him do very well and surprise people. Maybe win the MVP. It'd be super fun. Tom Brady, I'm rooting for him as a kid. I looked up to him so much, and I can't deny that his work ethic really inspires me. I think Tom Brady's a great story that he... I, I just love Tom Brady. I'd love to see him do well. I know a lot of people either love him or hate him. I'm on the side that I think Tom Brady's really cool and inspirational. I'd love to see him do well in Tampa Bay. I want to see Cam Newton succeed. I mean, he's kind of... People view him as an underdog right now, and he's easy to root for because it seems like people don't believe in him. I'd love to see Cam Newton do great and prove a lot of people wrong. I think of Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson. Oh, my gosh. The way Lamar Jackson's been playing recently, exceeding expectations, improving so quickly, he seems like an awesome person. When you find a player who, is, who seems like a good dude, it's really easy to root for them. Lamar Jackson seems like an awesome, awesome person. I'd love to see him do well. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, I want to see him make it so badly. Dwayne Haskins in D.C., please, I want him to make it work. Uh, Carson Wentz with Jalen Ragor is going to be really fun in Philadelphia. Joe Burrow. I, I root for Baker. People hate Baker. I think Baker is a an imperfect person that I want to see make it. I, I'm really, I'm a softie for so many players. Daniel Jones, Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles. Look, I could list pretty much every quarterback in the NFL. There are so many names and people that I just, even people I've talked to that I want to make it. Um, I think someday, I don't know that we'll see it this year. I'd love to see Jalen Hurts find some success in the NFL. I'm a really big Jalen Hurts fan. I like Phillip Rivers with the Colts. That's a really cool storyline. If Phillip Rivers goes from the Chargers to the Colts and plays really well, that'd be awesome. So I don't know who, who am I rooting for this year? Pretty much everybody. I, I root for nearly every quarterback in the NFL. There's not anybody I hate. But those are some of the names that came to my mind. When I read that question, I went, hmm. You know what? There are some names and some people in the NFL that I really want to see do well. Kyler, Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson. 
Uh, of course, Patrick Mahomes would be cool, but he's already like guys like Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson are guys you already expect to be so great. So it's I'm maybe less moved internally by them. But I don't know. Those are the guys that came to my mind with that question. Now, John writes in his question was geared towards the NBA, but I'm going to actually broaden it because I want to have a bigger conversation here. He says, should there be an asterisk next to this year's champion? He was talking about basketball. I cut the beginning of the question because I want to broaden, broaden this conversation and talk about all sports here. This is not just about football or baseball or basketball or racing. Coronavirus has thrown a wrench in everything right now. And whether it's baseball playing a shortened season or the NBA doing a weird playoff thing or the NFL with a lot of uncertainty or Formula One, which is truncated and got a lot of uncertainty later with dates. Because of this, it's a mess right now all over the world because of coronavirus, because of a global pandemic. And honestly, I think about it this way, that teams that can handle that environment with all this weirdness and all this uncertainty, those teams deserve praise. It's a shorter season, or teams got lucky, or this, or that. I hear a lot of stuff out there like, this year is not the same as other years. We should put an asterisk next to their championship. Fine, I guess. But if you win, you win. And you can put an asterisk if you want. I'm not going to do that. I really, really hate when people cheapen the success of other people. I do not feel comfortable diminishing winning. I'm not going to do that. Success is so hard. People talk all the time like, oh, it's easy to do this or do that. Whatever, whatever the end goal is for somebody, people talk like it's easy all the time. Being successful is incredibly, incredibly hard. It takes so much hard work. And winning is a big accomplishment, whether it's a shortened season or not. And I really think people need to look at it this way, that because of coronavirus, all the weird uncertainty, all the stuff going on, if you can find a way to win during corona, doesn't that deserve more respect maybe than normal? I just think that that's being overlooked. People are like, well, it's a shortened season. Uh, the people who find a way to win at this time right now deserve a lot of credit to overcome a crazy situation and do well. And I just don't know how you can diminish that. I never feel good about diminishing somebody winning. It's just weird to me. I hate it. Um, I, I just, I don't know, man. People, people fight so hard to be good, to work, to be successful. The preparation, the hard work that's behind the scenes that nobody talks about. I just really get frustrated when people diminish success or you know, cheapen winning, and I'm not going to do that this year. I don't think just because of the, the circumstances around these seasons, baseball, basketball, football, racing, regardless, doesn't mean that whoever wins a championship at the end of whatever season it is should have an asterisk next to their championship. Because really, overcoming coronavirus is a feat in itself, and I don't think that should be cheapened at all. Okay, Alex writes in. Alex says this. He says, see if we can find it. What football games stick out in your mind as the most memorable and why? Could be games you played in. Could be games you called or watched. Um, look, man, what sticks in my mind immediately is that I believe it was two years ago. I mean, people, if they know, they know. They'll think about it right away. I think a little over two years ago, maybe two years ago, the Chiefs and the Rams played on Monday Night Football and, oh, my God, it's the best game I can remember watching on TV. Patrick Mahomes, a super high-scoring game. It was like 55-52, to 52, I believe. Uh, my old high school teammate, Samson Ibukam, who plays defensive end for the Rams, had two touchdowns on defense. It was so much fun. I'll never forget that game. The Rams were wearing their, their all-yellow uniforms. looked so cool. Um, you know, I, I thought it was an awesome game. 
I remember I called Washington State versus Utah down at Utah. Met a lot of cool people. Met some fans of the show. It was raining and wild and fun. Uh, that was and we were live on YouTube calling that game. It was so cool. Um, I was on the sideline when you know Gardner Minshew senior year. I had a media pass because early in the day I worked for uh, ESPN's College Game Day, and that night. I watched Justin Herbert play Gardner Minshew on the sideline in Pullman, Washington. Uh, Washington State beat Oregon. It was so cool and so much fun. Uh, I got to go to MetLife Stadium for an XFL game in New York where I got to watch the LA Wildcats play against the New York Guardians. I got to talk to Luis Perez, the quarterback of the Guardians, after the game. Met a few fans. It was really, really cool. Fans of the Strong Abandoned Sports, let me clarify. Um, I vividly remember Devin Hester taking back the kick return in the Super Bowl against the Colts. I don't remember really anything else from the game other than it was raining really hard. I actually got food poisoning that day. And so the Super Bowl of the Bears and Colts is a blur, but I'll never forget the opening kickoff with Devin Hester running through the rain, looking up at the scoreboard like, ah, it was so cool to watch live. Um, I remember all the Tim Tebow games very vividly. I was with my dad on the couch. We loved it. We would literally change the channel to find Tim Tebow at the end of the game, whether it was the Dolphins, I believe it was that two-point conversion where he flipped his feet I threw a two-point conversion against the Dolphins to win. Um, I remember the playoff game against the Steelers where he hit that, I think it was a slant or a post. I think it was just a slant to Demaryius Thomas for that long touchdown to win in the playoffs. Um, So many games come to mind, man. I've had such a fun history with football. Um, There are some games I played in I remember really vividly. You know, my final two games of my high school career really stick in my mind where one of them is the first round of the playoffs. It's actually, I played for Skyview High School. Skyview High School in Vancouver, Washington. Uh, we were playing Skyline High School in Seattle, which is where uh, Max Brown played in high school, actually. Max Brown's former high school. And we were losing at halftime 23, excuse me, 24 to 3. We were down 21 points at halftime. And we came back and we won in double overtime. And it was a really fun game with my teammates, such a fun comeback. I broke every passing record in that game. It's a little bit skewed because we did play in two overtimes. But I had over 450 yards passing. It was so much fun. We had a flea flicker for a touchdown, which is amazing. We had a play where, you know, I was in my own end zone. The snap was low. It rolled to me. I picked it up. I made a defender miss. I threw the ball down the sideline on a wheel route to my running back. It was so cool. And it's funny watching on film where you watch the coaches for the other team start celebrating and then go, oh, no. And they threw their stuff. And watching the range of emotions on the play where they thought they were going to have a big play in the end zone, in my own end zone. And then I threw the ball for a big game. They were furious. And yeah, it was so funny to watch on film. It's on my YouTube channel somewhere on Zach Schaumler. And then I think of my final game in high school. It was a cold game in Wenatchee, Washington. I had three long sleeves on. It was so blisteringly cold. And we were so cold. I mean, I had three long sleeve shirts on, three long sleeve Under Armour shirts. And the other team walks out. Wenatchee High School walks out. That a big UW recruit. He walks out bare-bellied. They're wearing, what do you call it, cutoff sleeves. They wore tank tops in like 24-degree weather, like totally fine. They ran circles around us. Uh, my receivers couldn't catch anything. God bless them. It was so hard. I mean, the ball that game, I threw pretty well, but it was like catching a rock or like a brick. It was so hard and cold, like throwing an ice brick to them. Um, we we were competitive, but they, they beat us by like two touchdowns, I believe. And I just remember cleaning up the locker room after the game feeling like, Kind of in shock. Like, I want to help out. I know my te- my coaches are tired, and uh, we had to clean it up the locker room and be kind of respectful. And I don't know, man. Uh, that was a game where I just was like, man, it's over. Like, my high school career is over, and I was so sad and ready to move forward to college football. 
But, you know, more than college, high school is what I remember mostly. Man, it was so much fun with my friends. And uh, I guess if you're on YouTube, please comment the games that you remember the best. I want to hear your stories. Or write in on Patreon. Tell me about your, whether you were playing or watching, what games stand out to you the most from your time being a football fan. If you have a story like the Chiefs or the Rams, I'd love to hear that. Like, if there's a game that you remember vividly and you're like, man, I can't stop thinking about the Rose Bowl with Sam Darnold against Penn State a couple of years ago. Whatever it is, share your stories. I'd love to hear it. And um, yeah, it'd be really, really cool. Jaeger writes in. He says, with a rookie quarterback, would you rather surround him with a great offensive line or a great group of weapons? Thanks, Zach. Have a great day, man. Um, I would have a rookie quarterback. The way I would support a rookie quarterback would be to give him a great offensive line. If I had to pick one, like great receivers or great running backs and great tight ends or a great offensive line, I'd pick the great offensive line every single time. It's not just about having good receivers. If you have a rookie quarterback, you also need to be developing them, giving them good habits. And having a good offensive line can help a young quarterback learn to navigate the pocket and build confidence. Even if receivers are dropping passes or doing a bunch of stuff wrong, at least my quarterback would have time to throw. And if I have a young quarterback, he needs to learn how to be a good decision maker. He might not have a guy who can win or catch the passes he's throwing, but he needs to have enough time in the pocket to develop as a quarterback processing defenses and reading the field. And so, I don't know, man. I think offensive line, for a young quarterback, offensive line is so much more important than having great receivers or great running back or great tight ends. Look, you want it all. You want to have a young quarterback surrounded by talent everywhere. But if I had to pick one, receivers, running backs, tight ends, or an offensive line, I'll take the offensive line every single time. And it's kind of... I think offensive linemen would be kind of offended by the way you asked the question, Jaeger. You said, would you rather have great weapons or a great offensive line? Why can't a great offensive line be a really great weapon? I don't know. It's kind of a fun way to throw that question back at you, but I'm sure some right guard in high school right now is going, hey, what the heck? Come on, man. I'm great. I'm a weapon. I'm a, I'm a versatile weapon. I don't know. what. <laughs> it's getting weird now. But I just, I, again, for a young quarterback, you got to give them a good offensive line at the bare minimum. And if I had to pick between that or receivers, I'd pick the offensive line every single time. Okay, guys, we're going to transition into phase three now, where we're going to get into some fun questions for Ask Zach. So if you don't want to hear fun stuff about space and yada yada, you can take off now. Don't blame me at all. Jake writes in, he says, if you could live in one video game universe, which one would you pick? You know, for me, if I had to pick one video game universe to live in, it's Mass Effect. I mean, really, any space game, almost any space game, but I love space. I'm really fascinated by it. I would love to be in space somewhere. And which world has the coolest space opportunity? And really, that's not in danger. Like, you could live in the dead space universe, but that means you're going to have horrible stuff chasing after you, or Alien sounds miserable. No, Mass Effect sounds really, really cool. Specifically to me, actually, Mass Effect Andromeda is where I would love to be. Mass Effect Andromeda is a game that gets a ton of hate, I actually really liked it. I had fun with it. It's the, you know, the fourth game in the series, kind of a spin-off where you're in a new world colonizing a different galaxy, the Andromeda Galaxy. And think about it this way. Most video games are apocalyptic where like The Last of Us, for example. Would anybody want to live in The Last of Us world? No way. Not even for a chance. I don't I don't want to live in The Last of Us. Have zombies after me and weird crazy factions of people that are all banded together trying to cut my head off. That sounds terrible. 
Mass Effect sounds cool. Space is colonized. There's a bunch of races out there you can talk to, different aliens, different planets you can visit. I would love to be a space explorer. Like, think about it this way. I love hiking in, in, on our planet Earth. I love going for adventures and traveling and seeing stuff. Imagine doing that on a galactic scale. Oh, my gosh. It'd be so cool. This, you know, we took a trip to, instead of like France, we take a trip to planet whatever. And we were on some alien planet where the water was red, the sky was green, there were three moons. Sounds incredible to me. We talked to these other people with a voice translator that were from a different planet and looked totally alien. I, I'd be so cool to me. So if I had to pick one video game universe to live in, it's Mass Effect, undoubtedly. Um, and really, the other thing, too, is I would give up everything to live in space in a heartbeat. You know, there are people that are like, would you go to Mars you know, to live on Mars and be part of a colony? Yeah. But I don't know. I to give up strong opinion in sports would be so difficult, but it, it would be a conversation of if Elon Musk came to me and said, hey, Zach, you want to go live on Mars? I'd be like, mm, maybe, maybe you need a you need a sports broadcaster on Mars. You need a stupid dude to water plants because I do that, too. And maybe in my spare time, do a podcast. I have no idea. Um, but if I could live in, on Mars, like, sign me up. I, I, I'm obsessed with space. I think it's really, really cool. Space and racing right now are the two things I just can't stop reading about and watching about. And so, yeah, if I lived in one video game universe, Mass Effect all the way. Uh, Patrick writes in. Before we get into Patrick's question, I actually want to talk about Landon. Um, because I, you know, I, I've been reading a lot about Yellowstone. Yellowstone is a super volcano in the middle of America. It's also a gigantic national park. And, you know, in the last month, there have been 70 or over 70 different earthquakes in Yellowstone National Park. And I just imagine if a super volcano erupts at Yellowstone, I've watched many videos about it. We're all doomed. Like it's over. The world's over. An ash cloud would literally cover the entire planet. Um, and it sounds about right for 2020. Like how does 2020 end? What's the end of November 2020? Oh, Yellowstone erupted. We're all going to die. Like <laughs> horrible, but wouldn't be that much of a shock at this point. So Landon writes in. He says, how was Yellowstone? And so if you don't know, during quarantine, right before the Sam Darnold video came out, uh, I went to Yellowstone National Park with my dad and my girlfriend. It was a trip we'd long planned. And it was kind of nice to get out of town and just chill and relax and see some cool stuff. And I was actually editing the film analysis for Sam Darnold in our Airbnb. Um, and I do a second podcast with my girlfriend called The Flawed Humans Podcast, where we just we just recorded an episode all about the trip and what happened and the dynamics of the trip and what we saw and all this crazy stuff. Uh, but I will say one amazing part about going to Yellowstone, you know, one amazing part about going to Yellowstone was that it turns out the best time ever to go to Yellowstone National Park is during a global pandemic because there were no international tourists. It was pretty empty. I went to Lamar Valley at night and like, you know, right around the end, right around dusk. And there was nobody there. We saw two bears in the span of an hour and a half. We saw a moose. We saw a, a fox. I mean, it was so cool, the wildlife out there. And part of it was because there was nobody in the park. It was super empty. And so um, I guess if you're going to go to Yellowstone, now is the time to do it. Be social distancing, stay away from other people. It's pretty easy because nobody's there. Um, but Yellowstone National Park during a global pandemic apparently is the best possible time to go. Now, we'll get into this deep question. I I'm so excited for this. Um, it's it's a, a topic about my favorite musician, somebody I really, really passionately am a fan of and love. And I'm going to need water actually to take a break and kind of 
calm myself before we get into it because I'm I'm just so jazzed up. So Patrick writes in. Patrick says, Hi Zach. What is your favorite John Bellion song? So before I tell you my favorite song by John Bellion, I need to explain why I love him so much. In my opinion, John Bellion is the most underrated musician on the planet. I, I, I love him tremendously. I think he's very, very vastly underrated. And he's really unique because he's so happy with his level of success. It's not that he's not hungry to grow for more. Actually, that's not even true. He's not. You know, he's not on social media constantly trying to build his fan base. All that John Bellion cares about and what he's passionate about is making music. He makes really, really high-quality music. He makes enough money. We'll talk about his writing credits. He's got songs. He wrote Monster by Eminem. He makes a lot of money from his writing, and you know he's, he does well enough with his music. He's totally fine. And for him, for John Bellion, it's not about the money. It's about the art, and I respect that so, so very much. So number one, you need to talk about John Bellion's versatility. He can rap. He can sing. He can play piano. I encourage people. My my favorite rap verse in the you know on planet Earth. I love this song called "Let's Begin" by John Bellion, and the way that song opens, not with uh, Marciano. I, for, there's some there's somebody featured at the opening of the song, but there's a feature for like 40 seconds, then a little break, and a piano trill, ding 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 ding, and then bang, John Bellion goes at it, and it's my favorite way to start a song ever. He has a line. Oh, I don't even. I can't even remember what it is right now. I'm so sorry. It's like. Uh, I, I, I just go listen to it. I, I wish I could. I, my, my fear is, honestly, I could probably do it, like quote it, but my fear is getting it wrong and making me sound even more dumb about it. Um, but John Bellion can also sing beautifully. Go listen to his acoustic version of Human, his song Human. He's playing piano and singing. You're like, what? It's unbelievable. Or Stupid Deep. John Bellion can do everything. He's great at production. He's also amazing. He's got these YouTube videos where he does the making of blank by John Bellion, the making of guillotine, the making of stupid deep. And there's so much nerdy nuance that goes into his music. It's so fun and cool. Um, I don't know. He's got amazing lyrics, you know, listen to some of them are deep. Some of his lyrics are deep and meaningful. Some of his lyrics are really funny. Uh, Go to, you know, he tells you a story, A, a really funny story. He tells is in the song, dead man walking me, my girlfriend, my best friend, Nathan, we get in the car and we drive around and we're listening to Dead Man Walking, singing it at the top of our lungs. And it's hilarious what you learn in the song. It's so funny. He's also got really impactful lyrics like Stupid Deep is a great song that makes me like, it's just really moving and really deep and really cool. So I don't know, man. John Bellion is so talented. He's a great music producer. He's also a great songwriter. He's a great, oh my gosh, talent just in general. Uh, and go watch The Making of Guillotine. There's so much passion there from John Bellion. He loves, loves making music. And people don't realize he's had a hand in writing a ton of really great songs. He almost doesn't need the money from his music because he's got so much money from his writing credits. He wrote the song Monster by Eminem. He wrote on the song Monster by Eminem. He wrote on Trumpets by Jason Derulo. He helped with Stacy and with Life Must Go On by Quinn 92. He wrote Memories by Maroon 5. So many other songs are out there. I can't even list them all. John Bellion is a talent for the ages that nobody talks about. I love him. I've seen him live three times. He's great live. He's really genuine the audience. Um, he's, I have a video on my phone where he talks about it. It's on my Instagram somewhere. 
where he talks about the pressure of being an artist and how grateful he is for people who support him. And people said thank you. Like when I was in Portland at his show, we had like 3,000 people with a sign that just said thank you. Well, I held it up. And people were like, we, we wrote thank you on our, our signs. And we wanted to share our appreciation for John Bellion. It was such a cool moment. Now, my favorite song by John Bellion is called Money Right. M-U-N-N-Y, Money Right. And the song is all about chasing a dream and the pain of wanting something for a long, long time. And how when you want something, you're chasing a dream. You just got to keep going and going and going and going. And there's failure and there's pain. And it takes patience to chase a dream and make it, you know, as an artist or whatever, whatever passion you're going after. It takes a long time and it takes a lot of patience to get there. And I've been there in my own career. I, I remember working at a car wash wanting to have a successful podcast. I remember being in my dorm room at Washington State, listening to the song, going, oh, I just want this song to be true for me so badly. It's a beautiful, amazing song, Money Right by John Bellion. I encourage people to go listen to it. John makes music for artists. John makes music for people who appreciate the craft behind the scenes, the nerdy nuance that makes music so great. And he's not really mainstream. He's not really trying to be. Uh, in fact, a lot of people really didn't like his most recent album, uh, you know, Glory Sound Prep. And he's okay with that. John Bellion has really understood and kind of figured one thing out about making content, whether it's music or videos or whatever it is, that you have to make the content. And if you don't like what you're making, it's a big problem. You might not like John Bellion's music, but he likes what he's making. And he makes music he believes in and really, really loves. I love that. I love that approach. I am so inspired by John Bellion. He seems like a good stand-up dude. God, he's got great lyrics and got so many talents, whether singing, playing piano, rapping. It's, it's unbelievable to me. Go listen to the Stupid Deep acoustic version on YouTube. It'll blow your mind when you hear that and then compare it to <laughs> Let's Begin. Like, it's the same guy. You're like, no offense to Drake. Drake can't do that. So John Bellion, my favorite artist of all time. Listen to Money Right. It's a really... Interesting song with great lyrics. I can't recommend it enough. And that is a long version of why I love John Bellion so very much. Okay, my final question uh, for Ask Zach is from With Your Eyeballs. With Your Eyeballs writes in, he says, would you rather, and actually, let me pause this. As I read this question, I want you to figure out, I want you to play along. I'm going to offer a scenario from With Your Eyeballs and tell me what you would do for yourself if you were offered this very same solution or this same, what is it, problem or uh, dilemma. With your eyeballs writes in, he says, would you rather fight barehanded? And this includes anything in the environment around you. Would you rather fight a shark in the middle of the ocean, a cougar in the mountains, a polar bear in the Arctic, a leopard in the jungle, or a gator in the swamp? And so right off the bat, you know, I will 100,000% die in the water. So the shark, the shark is out and I'm in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing around me. The shark can swim and get around, maneuver way better than me. The shark is out. Uh, maybe even a baby shark, but it, like, I, I, I don't feel confident I can beat a shark. Even a tiny shark could probably bite me in the middle of the ocean and I'm screwed because he can maneuver way better than me. I cannot beat a gator at all, at all, at all in the swamp. I am so dead if a gator wants to eat me unless I have like a shotgun. Uh, but even then, like I'm not really confident I could make that work. Uh, polar bears, I, they're huge. Like, what am I going to do against a polar bear in the Arctic? There's nothing around me. I mean, in the Arctic, there's nothing to pick up. And it's not even rocks. It's just one of my throw snowballs at him. He's going to make fun of me. 
grab me up and rip my head off. Uh, leopards are going to get me. Got no chance in the jungle. Honestly, like, in this question he offers, you can use stuff in the environment around you. The jungle is so dangerous. Like in the Amazon rainforest, I go to use something around me, and I probably get eaten by something else while this leopard's trying to kill me. So there's no chance against the leopard. The, the best situation I have is the cougar in the woods. I can grab a rock or a stick. You never know. And in fact, occasionally you hear a story where somebody can fight off a cougar. Maybe even they kill the cougar where it's an old Meiji cougar that's starving and hungry and a guy gets attacked and lives. So I'll take the cougar. In this scenario, I'm most likely to die anyway against the cougar. But if there's one scenario I might have the best chance of making it and living is the cougar. But I wonder, like, what would you fight against in this situation? A shark in the ocean, a gator in the swamp, a leopard in the jungle, a polar bear in the Arctic, or a cougar in the woods. I'm pretty convinced that cougar is the right way to go. If you can get the right cougar that's old and tired and have a maybe there's a big rock next to you, you hit him on the head and hit him with a stick or something, and you're like got some tandem thing going on. I don't know. Um, but I certainly know gator, shark, polar bear, I'm done. Leopard probably kills me. They're really fast. Cougar, I, I, I'm probably dead. I, like, I'm a thousand percent dead if any of these things attack me, but maybe a cougar is my best chance at survival. Okay, guys, I want to end the show with Formula One. In a couple hours, the second Formula One race is going to take place. And I woke up this morning and watched qualifying. It was super rainy, very messy, super wet. And the top 10 in qualifying after, after qualifying and after penalties were assessed, this is the grid for tomorrow, the top 10. You have number one, Lewis Hamilton, number two, Max Verstappen. He was actually a second behind Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton had a great time. Carlos Sainz is going to be third. Valtteri Bottas is fourth. Uh, Esteban Ocon is fifth, Alexander Albon, sixth, Alex Albon, uh, Pierre Gasly is seventh in the grid, Daniel Ricciardo is eighth, Lando Norris is nine for McLaren, and Sebastian Vettel with Ferrari will be tenth. Now, there are a couple other notables that are happening in the grid tomorrow, or I guess, you know, earlier, later today. Uh, four, 14, yeah, Charles Leclerc, 14th for Ferrari, that's unbelievable. Lance Stroll is 12th, and Sergio Perez is 17th. I got a couple things to unpack. Three big things. Number one, McLaren has really impressed me through qualifying of race two and race one. McLaren, Carlos Sainz is in P3. Lando Norris was great. He had a grid penalty that pushed him back. McLaren's car is quite good, and it's really cool the way they are improving and getting better as a team. And as we move ahead, you know, next in the next year, we're going to have a salary, you know, a budget cap come into place. McLaren is really in a good spot to challenge the teams at the top. I like what they're doing. Now, I know it was raining and messy, and I know that some results are skewed. Guys had a hard time in the rain. But you got to acknowledge, man, after watching qualifying for race two, Ferrari is way behind where they were last year, and they've taken a step back. You have Sebastian Vettel in P10. Uh, Charles Leclerc, their star, is starting in 14th place. What the heck, man? And I get it, there was rain, but Mercedes and Red Bull, the other teams that are supposedly at the top, made it work. They were okay. Mercedes is one. Max Verstappen is two. Ferrari does not appear to be a top team anymore, and it's just hampering them, man. I'm I'm so... I I keep hearing about the past with Ferrari. Yeah, the past of Ferrari is incredible. It blows my mind how many good races have raced for Ferrari. But right now, it doesn't look good for them at all, and their car is having problems 
and Sebastian Vettel is leaving, and I don't feel confident. We were watching Carlos Sainz leaving McLaren to go to Ferrari. Is it possible Carlos Sainz is actually taking a step down? We'll find out today in the race, but I just, ah, it's not great. And then please, for the love of God, stop telling me how great Racing Point is. I get it. They copied the Mercedes car. But Sergio Perez couldn't get out of Q3 of qualifying. And neither Racing Point racer finished in the top 10 of qualifying. People love Sergio Perez. Uh, well, his former teammate, in my opinion, Esteban Ocon, is actually better. I think people are really caught up with what Sergio Perez has done in the past. I get it. He's done well, but all I hear now about Sergio Perez is a lot of excuses and a lot of talk about what happened in the past. I think Racing Point made a mistake when they let a more talented driver, Esteban Ocon, go. They dropped Ocon and, you know, moved on with Sergio Perez because Sergio Perez had a sponsor and had a stable history. People keep sending me messages. They're like, you're an idiot. You know nothing about Sergio Perez. And Sergio Perez, you know, Checo is great and he's the most underrated driver. Well, all I've heard this offseason is how great the Mercedes car is for Racing Point. Sergio Perez isn't delivering, and 17th? He couldn't handle the rain at all, and I just am so tired. Until Racing Point can make it work and earn my respect, I'm just not going to give it to them. All I hear about Racing Point is, they're so great, they're so great, this and that. Okay, but I'm waiting and waiting to see it, and so far, I haven't seen the midfield best of the rest thing I'm hearing about Racing Point. People keep saying Racing Point might be the fourth best team in Formula One. Ah, I don't, I don't think so at all. seems like they're bottom to midfield. We'll find out, but I'm just not as high on Racing Point as everybody else is. I know I'm new to the sport. I know people are like, you're ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. I can't let that worry me. I, I, just what I'm seeing from Sergio Perez is a lot of talk about the past and not a lot of results now. And Lance Stroll did not race well in the rain yesterday in qualifying, so... I don't know. I'm just, I'm really over racing point and hearing about how great they are all the time when they're delivering at an inconsistent level. Really, not even inconsistent. They're consistently bad. They're consistently not at the top of Formula One. What else do you need? Okay, I'm over. Um, I want to end the show this way, the same way I always do. Four years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was really, really painful. I learned two big lessons. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. Go talk to a teacher or a counselor or a professor or anybody you can. And if you have nobody to talk to, please call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255, the suicide hotline as a last resort if you have no one else you can talk to. And make sure the people in your life know you care about them. Give them hugs. Tell them you love them. Uh, tell your girlfriend, your dad, your stepmom, your brother, anybody in your life that you care about. Give them a hug. Make sure they know you love them and they're there for you if they ever need to talk. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. But um, bum, bam, we are done.